Please be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Whoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith, which faith except everyone do keep whole and undefiled, without doubt he shall perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. Now there is some debate as to the origin of the Athanasian Creed. It was not written by Athanasius himself, although it does reflect his defense against the Arians, who taught that there was a time when Jesus was not. You see, in those days when they would have an ecumenical council, it wasn't quite as we would imagine with people walking around with folded hands with halos over their heads. They were, they were chanting and shouting at one another that there was a time that he was not, and the other side would respond accordingly. It was a, a pretty raucous affair, even by today's standards. But it was likely written somewhere in the 5th or the 6th centuries and reflects the writing of Augustine and many others on the same subject of the Trinity. And it was included in our own Book of Concord to reflect that the teachings of Luther were in keeping with the one holy and apostolic church. For Luther did not set out to begin a new church, but to return the church to its original teachings. And as you can tell through the reading of the Athanasian Creed, it's not terribly evangelical, is it? It's not something we would put on a a tract and hand out to unbelievers or even give to the so-called seekers. It's even a little challenging for us lifelong Lutherans. But it defines clearly the one in whom we place our hope, the one in whom we place our trust, and the one in whom we place our faith. Bo Gertz once noted in The Hammer of God that at one time he considered theology to be the weapon of the Orthodox, where they would use it only to attack one another and to cut each other down. But he later realized that Orthodox theology was really the balm to soothe the sin-sick soul. It is the comfort and the peace that we so desperately need. You might hear a lot these days, those who say that doctrine only divides, and others might say no creed but Christ. False doctrine leads to false hope. Rejection of the three ecumenical creeds leads to rejection of Christ himself as their beliefs turn into a reflection of the self rather than a reflection of the apostolic faith. We were talking about that this morning in the the Bible study where they reduce everything down to the gospel and say, well, just Jesus just loves me so much, I can do whatever it is that I want. I can believe whatever it is that I want. I can leave my life, I can live my life however I please because, well, just Jesus loves me. When we take a look at that word credo, that Latin word, it's actually that word that we use to get the word creed. 
And all it simply means is, I believe. So anytime somebody says, I believe, they are saying a creed. When we confess together the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed, we say what we believe. We make the same confession of faith along with Christians around the world and throughout the centuries. The creeds condense the Christian faith down to its essential elements. A confession of the creeds continually reinforces the orthodox faith of the Holy, Christ, of the Holy Scriptures. It is pure arrogance, which believes that we, mo- we know more now than those closest to the events themselves. It is this same arrogance which leads to false doctrine. For there is truly nothing new under the sun. The false doctrines of today are nothing more than the ancient heresies repackaged. They all boil down to one of the Trinitarian heresies of old. It is a denial of one or more persons of the Trinity. If, you, uh, if you're ever interested, there's the, uh, the bad analogies. You can look that up on YouTube, the bad analogies of, of St. Patrick's Day. And it's a, a rather amusing uh, illustration of all this, this same stuff here. But believers and unbelievers alike, they all enjoy a natural knowledge of God. You would be hard-pressed to find somebody who does not enjoy the beauty of God's handiwork. We all enjoy a beautiful sunrise, a beautiful sunset. We enjoy the majesty of a snow-capped mountain, the peaceful sound of a gentle rain, the calming sounds of the ocean waves coming on shore. God's beauty surrounds us everywhere. Spending time in creation is indeed time well spent. It is time spent appreciating the handiwork of the Creator, seeing God's fingerprints everywhere. For nature reveals the awesome power of the Creator. It's good, but it's limited. It teaches us that that God wants to put order in our world and order in our lives, but it's a limited knowledge of God. Many today will worship the creation rather than the Creator. It's a denial of all three persons of the Trinity. Preservation of nature is not for nature's sake. It is a mandate of God to be good stewards of his gifts. At the same time, we need to recognize that the world as we know it will come to an end. It will be renewed again on the last day when we will enjoy the new heavens and the new earth in the resurrection. For it is in the special revelation of God where we gain a fuller picture of the Trinity. Now, if you do a word search for Trinity in the scriptures, you won't find it because the word itself does not appear in scriptures. But the evidence is overwhelming. Beginning in Genesis, we see the Holy Trinity at work in the creation of the universe. We see the pre-incarnate Christ in the angel of the Lord. We see the Trinity at work leading the children of Israel through the wilderness as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, feeding them with the manna and providing water out of a rock. Christ himself speaks of the unity in Trinity and Trinity in unity. There are many who, conf- who confess the divinity of the Father, but then deny the divinity of the Son. 
They rob themselves of the comfort and peace and the forgiveness of sins through Christ. They remain in the law. They remain in the vain hope of salvation through a keeping of the law. This can be said of most religions in the world. Most of them will acknowledge a God in one way or another and have many names for him, but they all deny Christ. Others deny the Trinity, thinking that God takes on a different form to accomplish different tasks, almost like putting on a mask. It's called modalism, where God appears in one mode or another to accomplish different things. Or they believe that God is made up in different parts, called, called partialism, where he might be a third the Father, a third the Son, a third the Holy Spirit. Still others believe that Jesus earned his way into being adopted as the Son of God, called adoptionism, where he was just a guy like everybody else, but he was so special that God decided to adopt him as his son. So what difference does all of this make? This is not an argument over how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. This has everything to do with our salvation. If Jesus is not fully God and fully man, he cannot take our place on the cross. If the Holy Spirit is not God, he cannot enliven us in the faith and bring us out of death to life. If the Father is not God, he cannot love the world in such a way that he sends his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. If they are not three separate persons, John 3, 16 and 17 just doesn't work. If they are not one, it doesn't work either. Our gospel text from John 3 is beautifully confusing and comforting passage. For Nicodemus confesses clearly that he believes Jesus is from God. He cannot deny the evidence of Jesus' miracles and teachings. At the same time, his, lo- his logic and his knowledge of the natural knowledge of God gets in the way. It is impossible for a man to be born a second time. There is no example of this in nature. It is only the mythical creature of the phoenix that is reborn out of the ashes. Jesus tells us it is the opposite of this mythical creature. We are born again out of the water and the spirit, not from the ashes. Peter confesses the same doctrine in Acts when he tells the people to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Through the waters of baptism, Christ gives you new life. In other words, it is as if you already died to pay the penalty for sins and emerge as a new creature. Only it's not you doing the dying, it's Christ. Christ's death becomes your death. Christ's resurrection becomes your resurrection. I recently heard a friend say that her son was baptized and the pastor told him that he put on his Jesus jersey. Now that's cute, but baptism is so much more. When one puts on a jersey of a team, you show your support for that team. You show that that you enjoy watching that team, that you get wrapped up in their games even. You may spend money on the games. You may spend money on their merchandise. You may even feel a a sting of loss every time they lose. And you might feel that, that elation whenever they win. 
It's not quite like that with Christ. We don't join Team Jesus when we're baptized. Yes, there is an an aspect of baptism that we give a public witness. It gives a witness to all present that you confess Christ. However, more significant than what you say about Christ is what Christ says about you. In baptism, Christ says, this one is mine. This one is cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. This one is forgiven. Indeed, John 3, 16 and 17 are the favorite passages of Christians all around the world. But the English translation doesn't quite capture the meaning. When we say, for God so loved the world, we tend to think that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Like when you love a kitten or a puppy so much that you want to hold it and pet it. In Greek, it has more of the sense that the giving of Christ is a demonstration of God's love. We read the same in Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would still dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. False doctrines lead to false hope. And false hope always leads to disappointment. False hope leads us to the assumption that we are either lacking in our faith, lacking in our sanctification, or that God himself does not keep his promises. For the scriptures are filled with gift language. God demonstrates his love for us by giving us his only begotten son. Christ gives us the forgiveness of sins by grace through faith. The Holy Spirit gives us faith through word and sacrament. Christ continues to give us peace through the forgiveness of sins. False doctrines rob us of these gifts. They leave us with doubts. They leave us to seek comfort and peace on our own. But God always keeps his promises. When the children of Israel were plagued by venomous snakes, God instructed Moses to make a bronze serpent. And all who looked upon the bronze serpent were healed. In the same way, we all have the venom of sin coursing through our veins. It is only by looking to Christ that we are healed. We cry out like Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Thanks be to God that he has heard our cries for mercy, and he has answered our prayers. He gave Christ to us as a fitting sacrifice once for all. He gave us faith to believe through the Holy Spirit 
And he continues to enliven and grow our faith in us through word and sacrament. Thank you, O Lord, for the gift of your Son and for the gift of faith to receive him. Preserve us from all false doctrine and grant us your peace. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.